Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And today we're going to be talking about the undercurrent of sin. And basically, we're going to be examining how oftentimes in life, there's the big fanfare, there's the waves that froth to and fro on top of the sea, but a real danger is actually beneath the surface, the surface, which is not always so obvious, and we can speak here. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. There are two others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us as we begin? Sure, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to gather and to talk about you. And so we pray that you'd be with us in this uh, session, that you'd be with those listening, and may we all be transformed more and more into your likeness. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 And we have made some adjustments here in the studio, and sometimes that has its benefits, sometimes it's (laughs) not. So we've got to get Amanda's microphone a little bit louder. Okay, sorry. I think I was just talking. A little bit softly, sorry. (laughs) Well, it'll all be all right. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about the undercurrent of sin. And really what I mean by this is when you think of any real sin out there, whether it be an addiction, a, a problem you have with a personal, you know, whether it be lust or some sort of hunger that you have that is that is ultimately sinful, there's oftentimes this surface level part of it, which has a lot of fanfare, which oftentimes gets the most attention. And then there is the undercurrent, which really keeps people ensnared. So today we're going to be looking at the story of Cain and Abel. I know Pastor John here at Jolton has been teaching his Sunday school lessons online about that, but we're going to be looking at how there is the surface level aspect of sin, and then there's the undercurrent. And if we are ever to really overcome the sin problems, we have to address the undercurrent. Hmm. Because with something like an addiction, a lot of times we think of this as a moment where, you know, if I can just get past this hit, we kind of think of it as moments of temptation where you say, you know, if I can just stay away from the the wrong people or if I can just stay away from the wrong opportunities, you know, I'll be fine. But in truth, that hunger is still there with you. The undercurrent is still pulling you further and further down. With something like lust, whether it be lust that's carried out into adultery, some sort of actual fornication, or it'd be something like pornography. A lot of times, again, we try to organize our life where we say, well, you know, I don't want to have to look at that material, so I don't need to be alone with my phone, or I need to have some accountability partner or something like that, or I don't need to go down those streets, I don't need to go over there where those temptations are. But in truth, that is still just managing the sin problem. It's not actually addressing the undercurrent, because in that undercurrent, it's still has that lust, which is oftentimes being fed over and over and over again. And if we really want to overcome sin, if we want to be healthy and whole creatures who can live holy lives, we have to address the real problems. Here in Christianity, we don't go around the valley of the shadow of death, but through it in order to find the goodness. So, do either of you have an opening question about this this topic at all before we jump to the story of Cain and Abel? Pastor Mike, you've been awful quiet over there. Well, you know, I just think, you know, I I love the theme of this title here of of the undercurrent because there is this understanding of uh, from the Hebrew and scriptures as well as we see it in Revelation that coming from the depths of the sea is where evil comes. That's where we see the beast come out of. And so there's this, you know, understanding of darkness and beyond darkness evil lurks below the surface and so there's there's a lot that we need to address uh and i hope we got time in this episode oh sure i'm i'm always here for revelation i mean that's that's 
that's just a given. All right, so let's go now to Genesis chapter 4, and I want to read just a few verses from this. In fact, I'm going to begin in verse 3 and read a little bit further. So in verse 3 of Genesis 4, it says, And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, his brother, he also brought the firstlings of his flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Cabal in his offering, but unto Cain in his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very full of wrath, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou full of wrath? And why has thy countenance fallen? If thou dost well, will not you be accepted? But if you do not do well, sin lieth at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Mm. Okay, so whenever we talk about the, the sin of Cain, which ultimately results in the murder of Abel, like this, this sin is taken to a very evil place. We oftentimes want to debate about what was the offering, you know, what was really going on here. And we'll say, you know, if, if Cain had just simply had the right offering, maybe he would have been accepted and things of that nature. The real problem here actually has nothing to do with the offering. Nothing at all. The problem is that Cain is not a healthy and whole creature who is living honorably before God. There in verse 6, we get that question. The Lord said unto Cain, why art thou full of wrath? Why has, their counten why has thy countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Cain is not doing well. Okay, Cain is not doing well. On the immediate, on the waves that we see going here, there is the whole waves between the issue of the offerings between the brothers. But beneath that is resentment, jealousy, envy. We see that rather than someone who has sort of the temperance to manage even their emotions, because there are times where, you know, we, we fail. We lose a race every now and then. You know, we don't always perform our best. But good temperance says, you know, I overcome those moments. Cain is not tempered. There is an undercurrent that is a lot darker than is the simple question of the offerings. Like we get really focused on the superficial aspect here, which again is important. I mean, obviously without the offerings, none of this happens. So of course those ultimate waves are important. But deep beneath there, we find that there is a problem in Cain's life. So let's dive into just looking at that just separating out the question of the offering, which nonetheless is a legitimate question, and then the undercurrent, which is really going on here. So, well, Pastor I Mike? think at the very heart of this is is nothing less than idolatry because where we see Cain, you know, I think we get key, um, you know, words here. The, you use the word wrath, but he's angry. He's angry. And so anytime we get angry, and there is a place for holy angry, hang, anger, excuse me, but there is also, you know, a really slippery slope to focusing on yourself. And so one of the natural laws that we've talked about is that God is good and what God calls good. And so if God does not call it good and he's angry because he wants to be God and say this is good. And so we see not only the violation of the natural law, uh, but, you know, really and truly that anger is a self focus a lot of times instead of focusing on God and what God calls good. So, uh, yeah, I don't think this has as much to do with the offering. I think we've got to get beneath the surface, and you can see where not only anger pulls one in into, you know, dangers of extreme sin, but I think in this case, even idolatry. Sure, and 
And we need to put the fine point on anger because the Bible actually addresses this. It's not that God doesn't get angry. It's that God is slow to anger. Mm. Anger itself is not necessarily sinful. In fact, Paul tells people, be angry, but don't sin. We often hear that line from Ephesians that says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And basically, Paul is talking about the undercurrent of sin. If you allow yourself not to just have to you know, change the course of your, your ship a little bit. You know, maybe you're going to do something a little different with your sails and your rudder. But if you you allow yourself to live in the anger, hmm. then something bad's going to happen. Every now and then something happens. You might go in the temple and somebody's rolled in there with the money changers. They brought in all sorts of, of idolatrous, evil, wicked stuff. And yeah, the righteous response is actually to be angry and turn over those tables and get out a whip and crack it across some people and send them outside. <laughs> like that's actually a holy thing to do. That is not sinful at all. And we need to put that point on there because oftentimes in the modern world, we think that you should never be angry at all, especially in the holiness tradition. We've taken spiritual maturity, and we've confused that with really a passive temperament, Mm. when that's not the case at all biblically. But at the same time, it has to be well-tempered. This is not an endeavor for the spiritually immature. It has to be carried out by someone who says, all right, there's a little bit of wickedness. I cast that out, but I'm not going to sleep this way because if I do, then I'm going to end up being like Cain, and I'll be sucked under by that undercurrent, and there will be no escape. Mm. So in response to sin, you will yourself become a sinner, and then you know the demons in hell. They they have their belly laugh and they they go on jollily. Pastor Mike, you know I think we see this over and over again in our scriptures, especially when we get to the end of Jonah, uh, where Jonah is really upset with you know not only you know the calling to go to Nineveh, but it's really this uh, not wanting to reach out to the Ninevites. In other words, they don't. He doesn't you know really care for them because they're not the chosen people of God, Israel. But understand that God creates uh, all things, and I think that whole last chapter kind of points to where He appointed the the worm, He appointed the plant, He appointed you know not just. Uh, you know, man for something, but he has these other creatures that are appointed, and then he appoints the wind. So, but all of these, you know, this angry that he he asks Jonah, "Do you do well to be angry?" And no, there is something here. I like that word "well" right there because it it has not only a physical and emotional. Um, undercurrent, but it has a spiritual drag and undercurrent that brings people down. And so when we we see this uh, in the book of Jonah, you know, again, it is a, a reflection on selfishness of what he wants rather than being that focus on being the image of God and God's instrument. And we see that it does bring out all kinds of you know, envy, jealousy, all kinds of emotions that really destroy the whole person that God wants us to be. Sure. Mm-hmm. Pastor Amanda? Well, and I, as you were talking about Cain and Abel, I always remember anytime the story comes up uh, in Sunday school or children's church, they used to have those like big, I think they were like eight by 10 cards that had a picture on one side and the story on the other. So the teacher would hold the picture up as she read or he read the story behind it. And they always made like, in the signif- in the painting of Cain and Abel, the the big thing they would do is when they would draw uh, the two offering or the two altars is right. Cain's offering had like really puny vegetables and fruits on it, like they were half moldy and rotten and things like that. And and like you're saying, like we have this great fascination with what was wrong with Cain's um, 
offering? What, why would God be displeased with, with Cain's? And we focus on that. And I think it's a lot like what you guys are talking about with anger. If we just focus kind of on these surface level things, okay, don't be angry. And that's like a, a bit of marriage advice people give out a lot is don't go to bed angry. And so people are like, okay, fine. No, I won't go to bed angry. And then you just find these like utterly passive aggressive marriages or relationships not even marriages but just they're like well we didn't go to bed angry we didn't fight all night so we're okay you're like yeah but you didn't deal with the problem either and then you wonder why like these other things come later and i think that's like somehow oddly you know thousands upon thousands of years later we focus on what was wrong with cain's offering because we think okay or one example i've heard which just makes no sense is like oh but it wasn't a lamb offering and you know like you had to give lamb offerings. That's That really wasn't established at this point. <laughs> like, I mean, you do have where God kills the lamb to clothe uh, Adam and Eve, but we're still a really long ways away from kind of the sacrificial system. And so right. it's like, that can't be why Cain's offering was, wasn't liked by God. Like, that's not something he would have known. And even when you do get to the sacrificial system being more established, God's pretty clear throughout the uh, prophets. He's like, y'all, good for you. You you give the sacrifices, you keep the festivals, you do the new moon offerings, but your heart's not in it. You don't, right. you don't, you know, you don't love your neighbor. You don't take care of the poor. You actually oppress those that are within your borders. You know, it, there was there's, and we think often if we just get the offering right, if we just get the surface stuff right, then everything else will follow. We've got it mixed up. And what God is telling, which all of you guys have hinted at or, or has said quite plainly, it, it's not the offering. It is there's some there's anger inside of you. If you don't take care of it, if you don't channel it into the right place, it's going to consume you. And, of course, we see this like not even a verse later. <laughs> Cain's already, you know, had his master plan out. Right. And it, it, it fascinates me. Again, this is a very early story. Um, we don't know, you know, when exactly the story was written down, but it was an oral tradition for generations. We've had this story for thousands of years, and we're still so concerned with the fact that Cain's got moldy fruit, you know, and vegetables on his on his altar, on a stone altar, than than a lamb. And it's not not even close to where I think God and our and our ancestors are trying to get us to move towards. Yeah, and I know we've talked a lot about anger, but. But it's also important to understand, really envious, the envious nature of Cain's heart, which is a little bit different than anger. So is covetousness. These mm. these things are all a little bit different. Yeah. Those elements are clearly there. A total unchaste lack of temperance where, you know, I'm moody. I feel like I should throw a fit right now. So I'm going to throw a fit right now. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm going to be pouty right now. I'm going to be pouty right now. Like this, this total lack of strong constitution, this lack of fortified countenance. I mean, that's literally the word word used here. I mean, in my writing, I use the word countenance a lot, and it comes directly from this story, mm. particularly what we find in the, the old English translations of this. We are called as godly people to have a strong countenance because there are a lot of undercurrents in life. So with a lot of these sexual sins and the sexual deviancy and perversions which creep into our life, you know, if you go to a club, it's a lot easier to commit to that and to build a lifestyle around that than if you're someone who doesn't go there. And the same thing wraps around all the sexual deviancies. It's easier to commit to them when you are pulled in by the undercurrent of it. When it's Whether or not you're battling, battling the moments and instances of temptation, which are sure to come, 
But if you don't ever address the undercurrent, if you allow it to be there, then you're never really going to be able to overcome it. You've got to reject the undercurrent that is there. And kind of something that has been alluded to here so far in this program is that not only does sin have an undercurrent, but also the good things of God do. Mm. So one of the things that we find biblically is that a lot of times you find people who are a little uneasy about doing the right thing, like there's a lot of pressure. And you can even look at how the disciples kind of go along with Jesus. There's some moments they have of reservation. I mean, ultimately, there's the big reservation they have at the cross when Peter himself rejects Jesus. But yet there is an undercurrent of holiness that's in their lives. And in so much as they had that moment of doubt, the undercurrent of holiness ultimately pulls them back to the good things of God. And we find this even throughout the book of Acts. There'll be people who have high points, low points. Peter has a lot of up and down. <laughs> yep. Peter goes up and down a lot. Paul himself kind of starts off as from a cold area, but ultimately gets pulled towards the holiness of God. You find a lot of Christians who kind of go back and forth with the issue of Judaizing. We don't get it talked about so clearly in the New Testament, though it's there, but the problem of Gnosticism, heretics who have false teachings and sorceries and stuff like that, that's definitely referenced in the New Testament. And we know a lot about it, church history. But there are a lot of Christians who kind of went back and forth on this. Mm. They're like, you know, is Jesus really the Son of God? Is he just a Messiah, but just a human? You know, all these issues, they kind of get pulled to and fro. But when they're actually attached to the undercurrent of God, so not just the superficial arguments, but there's actually a deeper spiritual faith going on, the Holy Spirit's active in their life, that undercurrent pulls them back towards the, the biblical orthodoxy. They truly are people who are after the, the heart of God. So we have to, to make sure as Christians we are people who build that fortified character where we understand that if I organize my life around certain sins, even if I'm rejecting those sins when those impulses come, but I'm still allowing the impulse there. And I'm not going to pick up on, beat up on people who, who smoke cigarettes, but I, I just want to use cigarettes for an example for a moment. Take, for instance, the nicotine that you have in a cigarette. You might think that, you know, I'm just addicted to going and buying a pack of, of smooth ones every day. But in truth, if you go and you replace that with the nicotine patch, you still have the undercurrent of the nicotine addiction. You may not be buying your smooth ones every day. You know, you may not be having your Pall Mall menthols. But if you are still using the nicotine patch or the gum, whatever, you still haven't addressed the undercurrent. And so many times in our life, when it comes to our battles of sin, we focus so much on not buying the next pact that we forget that we also can't just replace that with another version of the same thing. Well, and I think this is why, I mean, particularly as we're talking about, or your example about addictions, this is why often uh, some of those helps aren't as long-term as they want to be. And because they're, they're all with dealing, okay, yeah, if your issue is alcohol, just don't go to a place that sells alcohol. If it's tobacco, don't buy tobacco. If it's pornography, don't go to those websites. And I mean, obviously, that's a good first step or second sure. step or whatever phase in the plan that is. But yet, like you're saying, there's something that's led the person to those things. Right. And I, I think often we, you know, sin is selfishness. And so we're like, OK, that's the that's the heart of the issue. Fix your selfishness. Move on. And right. that that's not wrong, but it is a grand oversimplification of the right. issue as well. And I think that's why those who have long term success in battling addictions, whatever that may be, all of us, if we wish to have long term success in living a good and right life, we're going to have to find that it's more than just what we say yes and no to, 
but the systems, the structures, the right. community that we participate in that's going to help us to stand in uh, against this stuff or in the right stuff. And it, it isn't easy. And there are times where we can simply just say no. That's all we have the strength or the energy to do. But then also there needs to be moments where we're digging deeper and we're looking at the whys. Why are we running to this addiction or this problem situation or this problem person? Whatever those issues may be. And when we start asking those why questions, then we can develop better skills. And again, kind of the language I'm using is a little odd because it's not like developing in the sense of if I just think right um, or, or even if I just do right. And again, some of those things may follow and they are helpful steps. But it's also admitting that it's not just us in this. Yeah. And, and I think that's where also when we're saying selfishness, there's almost there can even be a a, a prideful selfishness that takes us over where we're like, oh, I've, I've worked hard on this. I'm strong enough or I'm going to be you know, good enough. And it's like, well, that's where but you still need other people. Uh, God uh, to help you in those situations. Sure. And like you said, there's going to be ups and downs. Right. Even even if it's not sin, we see Peter in some up and down. We see Paul in some up and down. And again, they may not have all been moral issues, but there were things that came in their lives they had to battle. And that fortitude, that strength came from where we see it, this very early story in, in this uh, story of the people of God with Cain and Abel. God doesn't condemn Cain right there in that moment. He doesn't say, oh, one bad offering, you're out. He said, no, look, this is your opportunity to grow, to learn, to mature, to take hold of the things inside of you. Um, and Cain chooses not to go that route, and this is then what it leads to. But I think, yeah, it, the deep things in our lives are always harder to take care of because they take us to well deep and scary things like you're talking about in ancient hebrew the the abyss the deep waters that's that's death that's chaos these are not easy things to handle but if we only deal with the surface level then we're only ever going well we're going to keep dealing with the undercurrents yeah and right and in the ocean the undercurrents a very dangerous thing Mm -hmm. you know the superficial things yeah you can have a tidal wave come upon you and destroy you you know the tide itself can come in and and ruin you if you're on the beach and you're unprepared for that but at the same time the undercurrents are generally much more deadly they're the things which slip up on you without you suspecting it and to kind of the point that that we've talked about here with with sin and the the undercurrents which come inside you you can look at the third epistle of john verse 11 which says imitate that which is good, not that which is evil. You know, sin oftentimes is like a candle that flickers about in your brain. And even if you dislike that flame, which a lot of times we don't, one of the things that's just really peculiar about being depraved, about being a fallen creature, is a lot of things enter into our mind that we can't get rid of. Mm. Like, we we have no issue understanding. There are ideas which enter in our mind that are corrupting. There are things that you see that you can't unsee. Some of those things we hate, but we still like because, you know, that's how a lot of sexual lusts are. We're like, we, we know this is totally degenerate, but like, I like this smut. That's generally how a lot of our brains work. But then there are other things which are just heinously evil and we, we wish we couldn't see it, but they're there and they flicker around. And if you focus on those things, a lot of times you'll find yourself repeating those things mm. like that will happen. And to the point that we've kind of made here, when you only address the waves, you kind of put some, I don't know, maybe you go out there and you put a big mat out there, you have a floating dock to kind of restrain the waves or something like that. You've built yourself a nice levee. Well, the problem is 
is usually that will break down if you don't actually have the real forces addressed. And this is why so many times we find people who might be of a character where at some point in time they'll say no to the lust, they'll say no to the addiction, but then they'll become like an hour on the weekend, like you've, you've had all your work all week, Friday has now come, and it's just totally debased. Like, we are going to be the utmost debauchees this evening. And we just go wild. We, we do find that this happens. Like, you'll be restrained for so long, but then i got to release it all. Mm-hmm. And it can be whatever sin, whatever temptation, whatever adultery, lust, you know, addictions, whatever you want to put there. We do that a lot. And at the end, what we've really been doing all along is sin management, not trying to change the undercurrent from being on one of sin to being on one of holiness. Mm-hmm. Pastor Mike, your thoughts on this? Well, you know, uh, I watched a movie with my wife uh, just a, a couple days ago. It was called Timbertown. It was uh, a Christian movie. And it was called Timbertown? Timbertown, like a logging town. But okay. name I it thought was it was Timbertown. Tim- Timbertown like Timber Tantrum. No, but, uh, it, it, you know, it does portray a pastor who has gotten involved in, you know, watching, um, looking at pornography and things of that nature. And what what it shows is the undercurrent not only pulls him under, but it affects so many people, and lives are destroyed. And uh, you know it, that's the thing. It, it often you see people in these situations that when someone tries to get involved, it just sucks more people in, just at like a real undercurrent that you know someone who's actually trying to help is pulled under with that. And so I think the movie did a really good job. Again, it's it's probably not an extremely high-budget movie, but at the end of the day, it had a really good message about exactly what we're talking about with how sin, especially um, in the, the negative sense of an undercurrent, pulling people down and away from God and how it affects not just one person, but sin affects mm other people the right. community and and uh it, it really is um you know totally evil and that's why we see jesus casting out demons and stuff there is no place sure. for sin and evil in the kingdom of god and to truly address sin it can't just be fought on the surface you got to get deep mm-hmm. you got to get deep in there cain is not a healthy and whole creature healthy and whole creatures don't have their countenance fall when they have a bad day I mean, I don't mean to over-sanitize the world. We live in a fallen creation. We're going to have bad days. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a time where you, you think you're preparing your best offering, and it's terrible. There are times as a preacher you spend hours writing a sermon, and it just goes over poorly. It just falls flat. Or better yet, maybe it's a great sermon, and you get up there and you get tongue-tied. Like bad things happen. Sometimes you don't give the best advice. Though those Hopefully those times diminish the more and more we get sanctified. But we live in a fallen creation, and we're not God. Okay, we, can't, we are called to be holy people but in order to be holy people we have to be disciplined we have to be shaped we have to be honed and we have to step into that and there are times where you're going to have a bad day i i always tell people you know if you're going to be someone who who preaches who teaches who instructs others who writes you need to be somebody who does something that makes your hands bleed whether that be working on old cars whether it be you know the ladies who quilt whatever it, you need to do something where when you make a mistake, you get a swift and strong rebuke that says, this failed. Mm-hmm. Like you were working on that project and you just tore it up. 
Mm-hmm. You spent 12 hours coming up with a great plan for this, and it was awful. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to be reminded of that because that actually bit makes us better people in the end because not only do we know, you know, the, this version of a light bulb doesn't work, but we also have the character that says, you know what? I, I, I did a bad one today, but I'm not going to fall into sin in response to either something that was sin or something that was just a, a general failure, something that was an accident. We have to have a strong countenance to withstand the undercurrents because those are what are so deadly. Pastor Mike. Well, I think exactly what you're saying. Choices have consequences. Yep. And and we're, we're going to have frustrations in mm-hmm. life. You're not going to get, you know, right here, especially in Nashville and Clarksville, you know, there's been so many people moving to the, the Middle Tennessee area that the infrastructure and the road systems just really can't handle it like they they're designed uh, originally designed to because there's just so many people on the road and it, you just see it over and over again so much road rage and mm. anger and you, you know if you think about it we're everybody's trying to get to one place or another um, and and so you have a choice on how you can react and I think this goes with your con uh, you know how you how you how you react to it, your countenance, right. as you're saying there. And so we... Countenance. Countenance. Countenance is also a well, thing. It, we it have a problem with emotional countenance, that's another thing. Well, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, oh, we're just being lighthearted here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you could lose your countenance too. No, we, we do have a problem where people are emotionally incontinent. Yeah. And... But that, which leads to bad countenance. But anyways. But, I mean, you you see this, and, you know, sometimes it happens unintentionally. And I'm not talking about incontinence. I'm talking about the road rage, Mm. that someone cuts you off. Maybe they didn't see you. Maybe they're just trying to get over. But everyone is so frustrated that we're not called to be people. Does it do us well to be angry in such small things? But we know. We've seen road rage end up into someone killing someone, right. uh, serious accidents, well, someone going to jail. Lives right, are right. ruined. Children no right. longer have parents because of, you know, something that really, if we would have just, uh, you know, responded correctly. Right. And to build off that a little bit, God designed us as creatures to really be able to inhabit one soul. One of the things that we find, like we we as creatures, demonic possession is wicked on many levels. First of all, our bodies aren't made to sustain that. Hmm. Like God alone is the the ultimate mysterious being which has authority to to come and dwell in and among his people, including like in and among their persons, like their bodies. We are not made where we can have two minds inside us. You know, the double-minded the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, you see that in James. But whenever a sin comes in and it has these competing currents, our bodies really aren't designed to maintain that very well. That oftentimes leads us into a life of chaos where we lose complete control over everything when you have these competing undercurrents. And that, that becomes very destructive. So that's just a final point, too. Amanda, do you have any final points on this? We're going to wrap this up, and then we're going to talk about Cain and Abel again, but from a different perspective. <laughs> we're going to weigh it against the cardinal virtues. Mm-hmm. That will be interesting. Um, yeah, I, I think you know we've we've talked a lot about this, and and uh, as I mentioned earlier, it does take a structure, a system to help us support us in in a very long, lifelong journey in understanding how to deal with the undercurrents of sin and the brokenness in our world. 
And we really do need to continually seek uh, good support from those around us and advice from, from, from those around us. And so if there is, I think, anything that you're struggling with, again, like often when we talk about sin, we go to some pretty big and nasty examples, but it can also be, like I said, just passive aggressiveness in your relationships that can lead those little things, those, those the death of a thousand paper cuts, the straw that finally breaks the camel back, those things build up over time. And sure. so seek help and advice now, even in the small things. Don't wait for them to become the big, ugly, you know, lion ready to devour you before you ask for some kind of help or assistance in dealing with the things in your life. Because this story, although it's only a few verses, this this was a whole life. These are right. lives that were lived out. And there were a thousand little moments before Cain picks up a rock and kills his brother. There was a lot of other choices that could have been made before then. And so that's like, yeah, with the road rage like Pastor Mike's talking about, I'm sure there's some people it just finally flips. But for most of the things when you give in to road rage, it's a thousand other little things that have built out to it. Mm-hmm. So if we asked advice, and some of that advice can simply be talking to a friend, talking to your pastor. Um, some of it is maybe you need to seek more professional counseling, a counselor or psychologist or psychiatrist. But often we think, oh, only like really crazy people go to those things. No, like everyone, it's just like we all need to eat healthier. We all need to go see our doctor at least once a year for a physical. Like those kind of maintenance things we do with our body, we need to do with our physical and spiritual health. That's why we go to church every week. It's those those weekly check-ins, those daily, momentarily a moment-by-moment check-ins that we need to take care of so these things don't become big issues. Amen. All right, so we're going to come back with another segment. If I can be not so close to the microphone here. <laughs> we're going to come back with another segment where we're going to talk about Cain and relate that to the cardinal virtues. It actually is something that needs to be done, even though it might seem pretty obvious he's going to get a low rating. <laughs> we'll be back here in a moment. All right. Thank you for joining us here at Kingdom of the Logos. We're going to be talking about Cain and weighing him against the cardinal virtues. Now, faith, hope, charity, temperance, prudence, justice, and courage might not be the first things that pop in your mind when you think about Cain from Genesis 4. However, one of the lessons that we need to understand is that sin and evil oftentimes comes from a place where one virtue is purchased at the cost of others. And a lot of times, We, in our lives, we think that if, well, if I'm just really good and we're in virtue, I'll be right everywhere else, correct? Well, no. We actually need to hold up the mirror and actually look honestly at the world around us. A lot of times, monsters like Cain do excel, maybe in one area of virtue, maybe with a few others, but they have some other places where they're just flat out missing. To live as a healthy and whole creature, to be a true Christian of holiness, we have to be well-rounded in our virtues. So we're going to look at Cain, and I think this will be something which will be interesting. I actually think we should do the list of the cardinal virtues backwards. Okay. Does that sound fair? Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Mike? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so we're going to do this backwards because Cain, I'm sure we're all going to give him a similar low rating. It's crazy. (laughs) Whenever we rate biblical characters on the scale of cardinal virtues, it always comes out to be pretty low. The perfect score on the cardinal virtue scale would be 70 because there's seven of them, and each of them gets 10 points. Hmm. So... Let's do this, and I'm going to start. Normally, I'm the last one to give the rating. I actually want to give the first rating here. We're doing this list backwards, so we're going to start with courage, 
And for Cain, I'm actually giving him a 10 on courage. My justification for that is he has a wicked idea that comes into his mind. And courage really is best defined as the willingness to test the virtues, the principles you have in life. He is not starting from a righteous principle. He's starting from a diabolical principle. But he is willing to test that. In his mind, my brother, I'm envious of him. He is the problem. If I remove him, my life will be good. He's willing to test that theory. So for that, he gets a 10. Now, again, we're starting with this list backwards for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I see where you're coming from, but also, like, he sneaks. He lies to his brother to get him out alone. He sneaks up on him. He lies to God when God asks, where are your brother? So I think, he, yeah, he might be willing to test his theory, but he's also not willing to own up to his theory. So I'm going to just give him a five on okay. courage. Okay. Pastor Mike? Wow. We're all over the board. I'm going to give him a, a one. And my reasoning is, is I don't think that that he is acting out of courage as much as he's acting out of selfishness. Well, and that's the thing. Selfishness and courage, when they're coupled together, is the case that I made. I didn't make the case that he wasn't selfish. I made the case that he's willing to test that selfishness. <laughs> well, I think the selfishness is so strong that the courage, it, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's lost on him, so to speak. And so I'm, mm. I'm going to go ahead and give him a one. Okay. Okay. All right. It next. takes courage to do the right thing. It does. And he's not doing the right thing. So. But we have to keep in mind, we are depraved fallen creatures. Yeah. So we don't automatically know what the right thing is. And that's kind of one of the, the points that I made that's here. Why we right. have to trust God to well, tell that's us where what we, is good. And what that's, is, yeah, that's, yeah. Where we, that's where we get to the cardinal virtue of faith. Yeah, <laughs> which will be our last one. All right, next up, we have justice. And I'm going to let y'all rate these first, Okay. and then I'll give mine. Pastor Amanda? Uh, remind, remind me of your, the definition we're working with in justice. Justice being the proper order of things. So if someone has committed a crime against someone else, that's not the proper order. That's unjust. Mm -hmm. But it also means that Things, you know, the temple is a place that should be clean. We shouldn't have filth there. So that's out of order. Mm -hmm. You know, I have worked my wages. I am therefore given my due. Everything to be in its proper order. My life is tidy. I'm a good steward. I organize my life well. I don't do sins against other people. And I'm bothered by the fact that other people do sins against mm -hmm. either me or their other neighbors. So. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think with that definition, it gives it pretty easy giving him a one on on justice because, uh, I, I mean, you have the out of orderness of the offering and then it, it escalates into more disorder very, 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 very quickly. So, um, yeah, he, yeah, so he, he gets, gets a okay. one on justice. All right, Pastor Mike. I'm going to give him a five. Uh, I think the court again, I'm going to go back to what Pastor Amanda said earlier, where we've, we've somewhat looked through the lenses of a lot of our our children's studies and stuff and saw the images and the pictures of just a very measly offering but we don't i don't think the bible says that uh and so i'm i'm just going to say that you know god god didn't accept it but it he did have a certain amount of order in to to bring a sacrifice his response when it was rejected 
has no justice is is, is a zero. Sure. So I, I'm going to go. I'm going to stick right there where I'm at with that because you know he kind of. It seems like he's starting out right, but then once it's not ex- accepted um, the way he wants it to be accepted, then he is he doesn't respond in in correct order. So it's kind of like he's got a ten and a zero. I'm going to give him a five. Okay. Well, I'm giving him a zero. He gets a fat zero for this. <laughs> um, you know, to Pastor Mike's point, the Bible doesn't really say how big or small the grain offering was or the the fruit offering, the, you know, whatever agricultural herbal offering. agricultural <laughs> offering it was. But we do know that in the course of things, God, there is a value and premium placed on suffering. So blood is more expensive than a tree. Like that, that is definitively true throughout Old and New Testament. Like God certainly is like, hey, there are grain offerings and things of that nature, but but the blood offering is higher up in the tier of things. We don't really know how much that plays into this simply because those offerings haven't been established, but at the same time, if an animal has to suffer and die, that's much more costly than just an acorn. So I'm giving him a fat zero because I don't think he cares. Mm-hmm. I think he's a total well, degenerate reprobate. Well, what does that say reprobate. about the, 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 the hymn that says, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord? Yeah. I mean, it, is that? I mean, to me, I've always kind of questioned that. Is is that a is praising God a sacrifice? Well, praising God might be a suffering. That's an interesting thing to think about. We'll I, adjudicate I don't know. It that just later. seems like. Does it depend on who's playing the organ? No, that's a no, bad joke. That's a bad no, no. joke. <laughs> but but no, I'm, I, I'm you know I'm not. But I have kind of struggled like with that. Organ. Saying, what what do we do with? that i mean couldn't we come up with i mean better lyrics you know we're joyful to sing praises to the lord uh there's there's plenty of other things but i'm i don't feel like i'm sacrificing when i'm sacrificing when i'm praising god i do believe that sacrifice can praise god and Mm -hmm. and glorify god but at the same time i guess i I don't know. Well, I've gone down a bunny trail. No, and, and just to, I guess, to continue the bunny trail, I think it, one, the nature of suffering and why suffering is valuable to God, uh, not just for suffering's sake. God is not bloodthirsty or a vampire. But to follow God, to, to live rightly in a world that wants to live wrongly, there will be sacrifice. And and yes. I don't know about the author who wrote that hymn and, and its history. I don't even know what decade or century it was written. I think probably early 1900s. But... Um, there's a lot, you know, I read something interesting or heard somebody talking about recently why certain cultures, their service, their worship services go so long, especially in the African-American church. And it comes to them from their long history enduring slavery. You worshiped like you had no tomorrow on Sunday because the odds were you might not have a tomorrow come Monday. You might get killed or slaughtered. So there is sacrifice in the praise because you have to leave it all. Yeah. Because there's nothing else that, you know, you're all maybe required of you in the next moment, in the next day. And so there is sacrifice in the praise because you are giving something up in it. And it's not unjoyous. It is actually very joyous. But death is coming. And yeah. so I, I think I don't know. And it is a very happy melody well, as well. Know. So it's, it is a very interesting song that we do sing. And I, I don't know for some of us who have lived more comfortable lives, if we understand what that song may be calling us towards in, in, in the sacrifice, because we don't really give up much. Maybe we might give up seeing the football game on Sunday mornings. I don't know. But there is something I think for a lot of Christians, simply singing a song of praise 
requires a lot of suffering. Yeah. And that's kind of increasingly becoming the point here as our nation goes further and further away. It, you know, just wantonly drifts below. We, we do find that. Actually, I'm going to take a completely different stance on this song. If you're going to be bringing a sacrifice, praise is not a bad thing. Like, it, it, there's a lot of worse things that you can do. Like, you can be Cain and who's somebody who's a sloth whose heart is not in the right place. Mm. Praise pretty well implies in the word praise that your heart is, is at least trying to be in the right place. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give some credit to it for that. But let's get back to our, our study <laughs> of, of Cain. All right, so temperance on Cain is the next virtue, and I'm going to throw that to Amanda, and we can go through these pretty quickly if we Okay, want. yeah, temperance, obviously he gets like a one, and I just feel bad with giving zeros or tens because it's, it's, they're too absolute um, yeah. for me, uh, and, and I know others are okay with that. But anyway, so he gets a one because obviously, again, like, I think this is so amazing we missed. God, isn't chast- or God does chastise Cain, but it's this opportunity for repentance and growth in life. And like all you had to do, dude, was like control was you know it, it just it's not there was no unredeemable point for Cain yeah and, and he doesn't take it so obviously not temperate or I guess there was a little bit of temperance in the fact he he developed a plan like he didn't just kill his brother right there he made a plan for it but that really doesn't count for much so he gets a one <laughs> okay Pastor Mike I give him a zero I'm a zero I mean he deserves a zero all right and you know what I was gonna give him a zero he deserves a zero but we're being trying to be honest and fair here. He did spend time developing a plan. If he would have just killed Abel on the spot, he still gets a zero for that. <laughs> He's got to get a zero. You know what, that, Pastor Mike, you've won that, me that's, back over. That's, he that's is the premeditated. Very, he did, does, yeah, He's does, a zero. Does murder one get you more grace or less grace? <laughs> you know, zero is what it gets. <laughs> it is zero because this is the definition of untemperance. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if you want a biblical question that says what does untemperance looks like it's it's the question god gives cain why has your countenance fallen Mm -hmm. if you do well will you not be accepted that is the very different definition of untemperance so i'll give him a zero i was going to give him a one because he did have enough of something to spend some time to create a plan but yeah he He i'm gonna i'm gonna bad that's what he had it's a zero (laughs) he had a zero negative i would give it to him he had a zero All right, next up on our list is prudence. Prudence, Amanda. Mind us our definition of prudence. Okay, prudence being, of course, wisdom. We associate Mm. that with prudence. But also, it's something which endures with you. So this is not just, uh, I made a good choice on a whim. This is, I have a lifestyle of good choices, a lifestyle of wisdom, and I I endure with it, and I persevere with that wisdom. So persevering wisdom. (sighs) Poor, poor baby Kane. Uh, He... (laughs) keeps getting low scores which we knew that was going to happen but i was hoping something would eke out of him that would give us some hope and and i think that's the thing like we were talking about sacrifices and, and the sacrificial system's not been organized there is a sense though that uh blood is, is costly but also the blood and the sweat that that cain that adam would have poured into the ground because that's part of the curse where god says it's gonna it you will suffer in tilling the ground so it, it could have been a good offering and again, I keep saying this, this could have just been a learning opportunity for Cain. And he just couldn't have the wisdom, the long-term wisdom to learn from it. To be like, yeah. oh, that didn't work. Trial and error. Like, you know, Thomas Edison says he he didn't fail a hundred times. He just learned a hundred ways not to make a light bulb. Like, yeah. that could have been Cain's uh, situation. And it just wasn't. And so, yeah, sadly, he's he's going to get a one. He tried. 
Kind of. Maybe not. <laughs> he he tried so hard, he got a one. Got Pastor Mike. Zero. Zero. <laughs> I mean, that's a zero. There's no prudence there. A zero. And, I, and again, if I could give a negative, I probably would. If we permitted you to give him a negative, what would your negative number be? How far negative be? would yeah, you go, yeah. You can, if we were allowing up to negative 10, which we're not, but what would it be? Negative 10. <laughs> negative 10. Okay. Okay. I like that. Now, not only do we... Not only... See, yeah. see, I'm comfortable with absolutes. So is Pastor Mike. Evidently, Pastor Mike is com- comfortable with the absolutes beneath all worlds, <laughs> the, the permanent absolute. Not only have you hit rock bottom, but you just keep on shoveling. I, yes. I will not go against God, and, and God said it wasn't acceptable. And I mean, God does show mercy. That we see God providing. See, see now but, you're trying to be more now, harsh hey, than God. God always gets beyond what God don't even go on the scale he's God is God God is God you're you're trying to pull a Moses and and number 16 where Korah and his men come and rebel and Moses is like oh no now God ain't gonna kill y'all in fact if you are wrong God is gonna open up the earth and you're gonna go straight to hell straight to hell do not die do not wait for judgment straight to Sheol and it happens that's what God dad's trying God, to do over here yeah well no doubt that is God's uh yep. call that it, all right. Okay, so next on the list we have charity. Oh, I'm giving him a zero. Oh. I'm giving him a zero as well. <laughs> zero. That. zero on prudence. Charity. Not, not in this story. There, there are some different traditions and myths that will circulate about Cain, and, and some of them have so been retold by modern, I, I couldn't even tell you what, what a real myth of, of Cain is, but... I think charity, the story reveals the great charity, the mercy of God, but on Cain's part, it's, no. it's I will give him a zero on that yeah, one because no. it just, and, and the pain and, and, and suffering he will inflict on his family because of his in, in charitableness, is that a word, um, is just immense. And so it's, yeah. it's yeah, yeah, that is bad. Pastor Mike, uh, there is... Another absolute lack of charity, I'll give him a zero. Yeah, and I've got to give him a zero, too. A zero. And, you know, charity is is best defined, defined as the willingness to empty out yourself for another. And this is really the definition of agape love. Mm-hmm. This is kind of the classical definition of agape love. I know in our modern interpretations, people like God love, you know, relationship, all that stuff. The traditional historical definition that's kind of been used throughout, whether it be the Catholic traditions or just throughout church history, is the willingness to empty out yourself for another. Now, God ultimately does that. You can look at like John 15, or John 15, 13, no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for himself, then lay down his life for his friends, opening up his own life, his own blood, his own storehouses, and laying down his life for his neighbor. Jesus ultimately opened excels in this he opens up not only his life in the kind of material sense but also in the material sense and that his blood is shed for others Cain is also the very definition of uncharity he opens up his brother's blood and spills Mm. his brother's blood for his own gain where God calls us and expects us to lay down our life to shed our own blood for our neighbor for our friends what we find here is Cain opens up his brother's life and sheds it for his own gain so Cain is not only the, the definition of untemperance, but also the definition of uncharity. So he gets a fat zero there, too. Mm. And negative if, if it was allowed. <laughs> if it were allowed. All right, next up we have hope. 
I think at the end of the story, again, the end of the story, and not because of Cain, but because of God, there is some hope, right? Because God, oddly enough, does not demand Cain's blood to, to, to rectify Abel's spilt blood. But actually, there's life. Now, the, that life is restricted. That life, there are consequences. But there is hopefulness that somehow Cain will still be able to live and maybe learn to live into the grace of God. Uh, but but Cain within Cain's self will have no hope. So I'm going to give him a two, only because at the end of the story, I do think God sets Cain on a path towards hope, but I'm not sure Cain recognizes it yet, as in the narrative we have in Genesis. Okay, Pastor Mike. I'm going to give him a three because of the mercy of God, not because there is there is always hope when God is involved, but there has to be a response. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm going to, to go with the three being, I'm trying to be optimistic here that, that there is some hope there for him that he right. has. And it's kind of just hard to tell. Uh, it, it, I still think it's very low. Very low. And you see, hope is something which moves upward mm-hmm. and looks upward. Well, Cain, he's at the bottom. He, he's <laughs> nowhere to go but upward. So, I, you, you know. Well, well, Cain, even though he has nowhere to go but upward, he's looking down. He's still mm-hmm. going down. He, mm-hmm. he looks down when he kills his brother. That's a downward descent. And I know that's almost redundant to say those words, <laughs> but it's a downward move. He gets a fat zero from me. Mm. Um, a big fat zero. He got a 10 on the first one and a zero on all the others. All right, our final our final virtue to look at, which is generally the first virtue in this list, is faith. Pastor Amanda, any faith there? I Maybe a glimpse at the end of the story again, so I'll give him a one. But no, there, there's definitely, in the meat of the story, there, there's no faith in, in God to... to empower him you know not to give in to the anger or the the fear or the jealousy there, there's no faith that he can work with his brother in this in the, you know he has no faith in his family no faith even in the ground or his work and his sacrifices but um yeah so he gets a one because maybe there might be an inclination of of some kind of faith in, in the very last part of the story but yeah pastor mike i give him another big fat zero because you know, there, the faith is more than just belief. There has to be loyalty and trust involved. And I don't see trust in God. I don't mm-hmm. see Cain trusting what God says is acceptable or not in the offering. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give him a, a zero. Yeah, I give him a zero too, a big fat zero, hmm. which means... Our final scores for Cain, how similar do we think they are? We think they're similar? They're pretty similar. Amanda yeah. gave him an 11, Dad <laughs> gave him a 9, and I gave him a 10. So we got a okay. 9, 10, and 11. So he got an average of 10 on a scale of uh, 0 to 70, and <laughs> which is bad. Let, so, me, let me state that I that's a gracious 9 that I give him. That is a gracious number because the moral of this lesson is don't be a degenerate. Hmm. Don't Don't be depraved. Because it is it is bad. And also, don't try to purchase any one ambition at the cost of all the other virtues, because that's really what Cain does. He purchases his own selfishness at the cost of all real virtue, and it's just destructive. Mm-hmm. His own sinful pursuit is an undercurrent that sucks him under, and he becomes a slave to sin. He becomes a little puppet for the adversary. It's very bad. 
when when should not be a degenerate don't be a reprobate so that's kind of the moral of this story it's a very <laughs> bad rating we're not doing this to give any praise to Cain Cain is deserving of nothing the <laughs> 9 10 11 he got was pure charity on our behalf there we get our pat or on the back maybe uh, pure charity on God's behalf <laughs> yes there we go there we go well let me ask you this we we see a lot of people named Sarah or Paul or John does do either one of you know anybody named Cain? Yeah, actually, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people with Cain as a surname, which is just remarkable to me. Well, like their Christian name. No, I know. I I've known. I can't. I, I can't remember where we were, but we've done like a lot of kid VBSs growing up, and I know we've met a kid or two named Cain. Well, let me just make this clear. Don't name your parents. Yeah. Don't name your children Cain. Well, because also like. It's an old word nowadays, but raising Cain, like that's causing trouble. The word is synonymous with chaos and trouble. So also, why would you name your child, not just the the, the, um, the Bible story essence of it, like why you name your child a villain? Like that'd be like nowadays naming your child Adolf. Like there's just, why? But also a kid that you now are responsible for control. Why would you speak that into your own life? I'm, like, yeah. yes. I'm going to name my child Chaos. That sounds like a fun idea. I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that they named that child that without any reference to this, that there there's some other type of connection. No, I, I think... I whether think, it be, you know, sugar cane or, <laughs> or what. I don't know, but it's... I, I don't pe- know. I think parents think they're clever sometimes, and they, they've done... They've condemned themselves, and I don't mean, like, to hell, but I mean... Like, you know, sometimes people say something, you're like, oh, you just revealed more than you realize. Like, you thought you were being clever, but you, you've, you've done really ex- yeah. You've explained you're really it all. Not. Yeah. And, and that's where it's like, I think I think parents are like, oh, ha, ha, it's so funny. He's going to be a little, like, hellraiser. You're like, yes, and that's not a good thing. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's not good. It is the degeneracy that we thought it was all along. All right, so we're going to wrap up our program there. Thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Logos. May God love you, and have a blessed day.